is Numbers, Numbers chapter 7. We're skipping a little bit, we're cheating a tiny little bit, but don't worry, we're going to go back eventually to chapter 5. But as we had been talking last week about the tribes, the families within the, the tribe of Levi who had certain responsibilities, I thought we'd go on to chapter 7 to see a little bit more about those particular families. And then we will go back eventually to chapter 5 some other Sunday. Now, I was reading an article. This is not apropos to, to what we're going to say. An article the other day, and it says, Why is the church failing? Why is the church failing? And it's very easy to look out and say, Why is the church failing? But the problem is, we are too narrow in our definition of the church. The church of Jesus Christ will never fail and is not failing. And this chap had written an article asking why was the church failing. But you know, it's certain denominations, all denominations will fail no matter what we are, Baptist, Brethren, Anglican, whatever it is. They're man-made. But the church of Jesus Christ is all the believers within every denomination. And Jesus said, I will build my church, and he is building his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And as we look out sometimes, we see a few numbers, a few people here, a few somewhere else, a few people within the church who only seem to be the ones who are the true believers. And you say, surely the church is failing. The church will never fail. The church of Jesus Christ will never fail. And it's something we want to remember. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, I am building my church. And it, it just struck me that I would just say that before we, before we went on to this this morning. It, it's important to remember that the church is not a denomination, no matter what denomination, how good that denomination is. It's the people within that church who are the true believers. And they make up the church that Jesus is building. And he said that God's word, it says in scripture, God's word will not return unto him void. And will accomplish that whereunto he has sent it. Whatever God's word says will be accomplished. So don't be just be encouraged this morning. People say the church has failed. Churches fail, but the church of Jesus Christ will never fail. It's blasphemous really to say that the that the church that Jesus Christ is building will fail. Because he is God. Let's go on to chapter seven of Numbers. This is a long chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but we'll read bits of it. Numbers chapter 7. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle. We saw that way back in the tabernacle series at the very end, Moses set up the tabernacle. You remember? And this follows on from that day when Moses set up the tabernacle. You know, it's a little bit out of sequence in some of the chapters. And uh, we'll look at that in a minute. He set up the tabernacle and anointed it and sanctified it. And all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof. And had anointed them and sanctified them. That the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes. And were over them that were numbered, offered. And they brought their offerings before the Lord six covered wagons and twelve oxen 
a wagon for two of the princes and for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take it of them that they may be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt give them unto the Levites to every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari according unto their service under the hand of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none. Because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. And the princes offered for the dedication of the altar in the day that it was anointed. Even the princes offered their offerings before the altar. In addition to that they made these gifts and offerings. There were 12 princes, one for each tribe. Remember that? We went through all that at the beginning of Numbers and all their names. You remember the different names they had? All meant something. And the Lord said unto Moses, They shall offer their offerings each prince on his day for the dedicating of the altar. And he that offered his offering the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab of the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver charger, the weight thereof was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them were full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. Meat offering is a meal offering. Now, it's a bit confusing actually in the translation. You know, how, how can a flour offering be a meat offering? It's a meal offering really. One spoon of ten shekels of gold full of incense. One young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for a sin offering. And for a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nation, the son of Amin Adab. On the second day, Nathaniel, the son of Zuar, prince of Issachar, did offer. He offered for his offering one silver charger and it goes through all that he offered which was the same as the the first man had offered. And then if you go on to the third day in verse 24 Eliab the son of Helon of the children of Zebulun did offer and he offered again all the same and they go through right through the twelve of the men who brought these offerings and they all brought the same thing and that's how the chapter is pretty well made up go on to verse 84 this was the dedication of the altar in the day when it was anointed by the princes of Israel twelve chargers of silver twelve silver bowls twelve spoons of gold each charger of silver weighing 130 shekels each bowl 70 all the silver vessels weighed 2,400 shekels after the shekel of, shekel of the sanctuary. And it gives a, a list of all the things added together at the very end. And when Moses was gone in 89 into this tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, to speak with God, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of testimony 
from between the two cherubims and he spoke unto him God spoke unto Moses after that dedication of all the princes bringing their gifts right we're going to see what we can learn from that long chapter if we'd read the whole thing it would have taken too long you know we looked at these three families didn't we last week and the three different jobs that they all had to do when the, ta when the tabernacle was being taken down we saw how Aaron and his family and his, his sons went in and they covered all the holy things and then the, the, the various the, the Kohath family of the Levites they went in and they carried all that stuff they carried it on staves and another way they had to carry it in their shoulders and then we saw where the other two families, they did other bits, they did all the structure. They took down all the structure. The, the Meraris and the Gershons. You know, this all happened. It would appear that it followed on. Remember that sad instance where Aaron's sons were killed uh, because they had offered the wrong sacrifice, the wrong incense to God and that's where the two of them were, were, were struck down as dead Nadab and Abihu the sons of Aaron when they offered strange fire before the Lord and if you look back to Leviticus 10 verse 10 it says the reason why all this was done that they may put a difference between the holy and the unholy and between the unclean and the clean that was why all that happened and you know we have with, we have been stressing this over and over and over in our lives we want to show the difference we can't have the holy and the unholy in our lives we have to separate the two and at the expense of repeating ourselves that is what the whole of scripture that was the problem with Israel all through scripture they, they would repent and they would come back to God then after a while they will slip back it sounds like a backsliding heifer those of us who ever spent any time on farms a backsliding heifer trying to get out of a muddy old field slipping backwards and that was the, the picture God gave of Israel like a, like a heifer slipping and slipping and falling back into a pit and then they would come back to God and then eventually they would mix with the families and the, the nations round about and that they would they, they, they would sin again and God was ever so gracious to them but that was the reason it says that they may put a difference between the holy and the unholy that's what we have to do well now look at these verses the first couple of verses here in verse 1 Moses did five things he set up, he fully set up the tabernacle. He put everything in that God had told him to put into it. He anointed it. He sanctified it. He anointed all the instruments. And he sanctified all the instruments. You know, these are simple. This is a very simple talk this morning. But simplicity doesn't make it less important. You know, I, the simple things are the important things quite often in life. So often as we said when we were looking at the tabernacle series God gave the command and Moses completed it fully. We want to make sure. All the building was complete. Every detail was put in its place. And then all was anointed 
and separated for God's use. The building was separated and anointed for God's use. This was no ordinary building. This was no ordinary tent. This was where God was going to dwell. And God showed his approval. We saw in, in, uh, when we looked at it that God came and dwelt in the tabernacle. When we become Christians we are no longer ordinary people. That's the strange thing, isn't it? We are, the Bible says, a peculiar people. Now that doesn't mean we're odd. It doesn't mean peculiar as we talk about peculiar people nowadays. Maybe some of us are that way. But that's not what it means. Peculiar. We're a valued property. We're a peculiar treasure. A people selected by God from the other nations. Israel was selected by God from the other nations to be his special, peculiar inheritance. His own possession. God in, in, in Exodus 19 and verse 5 it says, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. He says, if you're going to, if you'll obey me, I'll make you into a, my peculiar possession. You're going to be very special. And you know, for us as Christians, Peter, in his epistle, in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We saw that before, that we are priests in God's eyes once we become Christians. And as priests we can go to the high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, and go into God's presence through him. And holy nation, we should be holy, separate, a peculiar people. We're special, we're God's special people. Because we have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God says, I love you. You're my peculiar treasure. You're special to me. We're special to God. Why? why? Why does he why should we be made like this? Well the verse goes on in first Peter two two verse nine that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When we become Christians, we move out of the kingdom of darkness and we move into the kingdom of light. And we should show forth that in our lives. That's what he says. You should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness. And we've moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of light. The kingdom of his dear son. You know, after the building was anointed and sanctified, all the instruments in it were anointed and sanctified. And we, we had that in that hymn. I, I hadn't realized it. Alpha and Omega be completely and utterly the Lord Jesus Christ's. Every aspect of our lives are wrote down. And interests must be sanctified and handed over to our Lord for his use. That's what all those instruments, they were not used for anything else except the use of God and his service 
And that's the way we should be. You know, the, Moses didn't, if they, if they were short or something at home, he didn't run into the tabernacle and get one of the things and bring it home and use it for a while and put it back in the tabernacle. The thing is ridiculous. But you know, that that's what we try to do. We, we, we try to, to have our foot in both camps. We can't. We, our lives should be separate and sanctified for the use of God. It is a simple message, but it is essential for those who are ready and willing to serve our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We must start with that basic fact. We must realise that we cannot mix the profane and the holy. And that's why God gave examples to the children of Israel. They couldn't mix certain cloths in their clothes because he doesn't like mixtures. He doesn't like mixtures. Well now we come to these princes. The princes and the recognized leaders. They were appointed by God to help Moses number the people. And to assist them. And we, we went all through this in chapter 1. We went through the various names of these men. And these names, the, their names meant something. Their main helpers and the people who were dedicated to God. Their names all meant something important. And there's a tape there. Get it and or read through your Bible and look up the back if you have a concordance at the back. And it'll give you all the names of these men and what their names meant. Verse 2 and 3. The princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were princes of the tribes, and were over them that were numbered, offered. These were practical men. And they offered gifts for the service of the Lord for the work of the tabernacle. Six covered wagons, two from each tribe and twelve oxen, one from each tribe, to pull the wagons. Now these obviously weren't, weren't just any old kind of wagons. I would think these were very special wagons that had been made by these princes and handed over to Moses uh, for the dedication and the work of the temple. You know, they realized that when these men took down those heavy awnings and all the, the, the sockets and all the poles and the, the planks, uh, they needed to be able to transport them. So they provided these wagons. And it's interesting in, in verse 4. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take it, take it of them, take it from them. Now this seems to be a superfluous sort of thing in a way. Why, why was that verse? And the Lord spake unto Moses, take it of them. You know, Moses was a very wise man. And it would appear that all these men appeared with these other, they, they brought these wagons to Moses. But Moses didn't just go and take them. He obviously went to God and said, these men have brought these wagons, what shall I do? And the Lord spake unto Moses and said, Take them. Take them. You know, it's very easy for us. You know, sometimes in, in, in fellowships when numbers are small and, and groups of people come in, we'd be glad, so glad to see them that we would nearly take them at any price and, and, and prepare maybe to compromise some things in order to have another dozen or two dozen people. It could happen so easily. Or... or you know, we need money for a project or something. Take the money nearly from anybody in order to get the project done. But that wasn't, Moses wasn't like that. You know, this seemed a good idea to have all these wagons to carry the stuff around. 
But he just didn't take it willy-nilly. He just, he went to God and asked God. And God said, yes, take them. We should be careful that everything we do, ask God about it. It's, it's, it's just so sensible, isn't it? We need to be aware, as Moses appeared to be, and check everything. Check it all out with God and his word. Anything where, where, where people come with a, a theory, I think, check it out with God's word. Don't take my word for it. Check it out on God's word and see if it all comes. God said, take them and make good use of them. And it says in verse 5, take it of them that they may be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt give them unto the Levites, to every man according to his service. That they may do the service of the tabernacle. These were gifts that these men had got together to help the work of the tabernacle, the work of God. And it says, to every man according to his service. These two families had been given a difficult job taking down all the boarding and all the awnings and the coverings and they were given the wagons to help them. You know, if God has a task for you or me to do, he'll give us the wherewithal to do it. You know, that, that, that's it. He's not going to give you a task to do and leave you high and dry. He'll help and he'll give us the necessary skill, ability, knowledge, or whatever, if it's in his will. Jesus said that he would look after his disciples. But when they deliver you up, it says, Take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. He always says, Jesus speaking to his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 19 and 20. He says they're going, to, they're going to bring you up before magistrates and things. But he says, don't worry. My Spirit will be with you and he will tell you what to say. Oh, when you go out and you're going to preach, he says, they're going to drag you in before the magistrates. Don't worry. I will give you the ability to speak. I will be with you in the power of my spirit. When we are in his service, he will provide to every man according to his service. He will provide to every man according to his service. So the gifts were divided up. Two wagons and four oxen for the Gershons. Four wagons and eight oxen to the Moraris, whose work was obviously a bit more arduous than the Gershons. They were doing the heavy work. So they got four wagons. The other fellows only needed two wagons for all their stuff. But the Kohats got none. They had to carry everything on their shoulders. You see, there are different tasks that God will give us to do. The work will be divided up. We may feel that we have a heavy burden this morning. Or we have some burden that God has placed upon us or that we feel that, you know, life is hard and difficult. God knows. And will give you and provide 
to every man according to his service. If that service has been dedicated to him. If our lives are completely in his, he will give us according to his service. The ark and the other sacred items had to be carried. We weren't allowed to put them on a cart. Someday we will follow the journey of the ark as it went uh, through the wilderness and on into the promised land and what happened uh, to the ark after that. But not, not, not today. Something in the future. But you know, the strange thing about it we have two instances, I think only two, of the ark being put on a cart. Only two, I think. First Samuel 6, verse 7. Let's regress over to this a little bit. Samuel 6, verse 7. The old man, Eli, the, the, the priest, his sons had gone into battle. And they were evil men. Hophni and Phineas, wasn't it? And the ark had been brought into battle for some reason. And it was captured by the Philistines. They took it away. Israel was without the ark, the presence of God. God brought plagues on the Philistines. And they had a plague of mice and hemorrhoids. And no matter where they brought the ark, this plague, these plagues followed them and they, until eventually they said, we're going to have to send it back. We know the story. They, they, they got these two cows and they took the calves away from the cows. And anybody who knows about cows, the, the, the cows will always try and get back to the calves. They yoked them up to a new cart. They put, they put the, the ark of God on the cart. And they put, they made some... Uh, golden for replicas of the play golden 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 ones five golden emeralds and five golden mice and they they put those with the with the ark because they said they would try and pacify this god of israel and they they, they put them and they let the cows go and they the cows went straight back to israel lowing all the way it says but they didn't go back to their calves the, the five lords of the philistines realized they had done the right thing and you know the, the men uh, were out in the they, they came to a place called Beth Shemesh and the, the kind took the straight way they didn't go all, all over the place they went straight back to Israel to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway lowing as they went and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left and the lords of the Philistines went after them could you imagine watching to see whether the, cow, the, the, the cows were going to come back to their calves or not were they going to get rid of this Ark of the Covenant which had been a, a curse to them as far as they were concerned? And the, the, the men of Beth Shemesh were reaping the, the wheat harvest in the valley and they lifted up their eyes and they couldn't believe it. They saw the Ark of God coming over the hill in a cart pulled by two cows. They were delighted. The cart came into the field of Joshua a Beth Shemite and stood there, got there and they stopped. There was a great stone and they cleaved the wood of the cart and off of the, the, the cows as an offering, a thanksgiving to God. The Philistines didn't know any better, they put it on a cart. 
That was the only way they knew how to get rid of it. But you know, the, the, when, the, when the ark arrived, the, the, the men of Beth Shemesh didn't, with curiosity, they, some of them looked into the ark and God, God destroyed many that day because of that. They didn't treat the, the ark with the respect and the reverence that was due to it. We must make sure as we study God's word that we give it the respect and, and, and the, the, the right place that is due to it. But then the, the, the ark stayed away from, from uh, where it should have been for a long time. These people, when, when God had, had uh, judged them for, for looking at the, um, being curious about the ark, the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? And they sent messages uh, to, to others in Israel saying that the, the ark has arrived here will somebody come and take it away they took it away to a temporary home and then we don't hear much more about the ark I don't think until 2nd Samuel chapter 6 that was 1st Samuel chapter 6 well 2nd Samuel 6 David the king he decided he would better bring the ark back and David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God whose name was called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims and he was going to bring the ark back up to its rightful place and what did he do chapter three, 6 and verse 3 and they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it unto the house of Abinadab that was in Gabeah and there was a man called Uzzah there. And he was, he was helping. And he, the, 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 the cart went over a bit and the oxen stumbled a little bit and he put his hand up to touch it. God killed him. I used to wonder about this. I wonder why. But you see, God is a holy God. And David should have known. David should have known that that ark of God should never have been put on the cart. It should always have been carried by the priests. That was the job of the Levites, to carry it. Not anybody. No. But you see, David had seen, oh, the Philistines brought it in the cart. I'll do the same. So easy for us to, to do the wrong thing. He should have known better. He was just prepared to copy what the Philistines had done. And you know, his careless action caused Uzzah to be killed by God's judgment. We need to be very careful as Christians that we do things in accordance with God's will so that others don't come into judgment because of what we do. And you know, the, the, the sad thing about it was, if you read that chapter 6, David was displeased with the Lord. He was displeased with God because he had disobeyed God's commandment. This poor man had, had, had been judged and David, whose fault it was, was displeased with God. Be careful that we do things in accordance with God's word and not in accordance with the way we think it should be done. And just because some people do something one way doesn't make it right. 
make sure we check up on everything according to Scripture. Let's move on. And now we come to the record of the gifts. These 12 different princes offered these, these, these 12 similar gifts. And you know, the order which they did it, I'm always talking about God having an order. They, the, the way they came up, and, and it was the same order as they camped around. They didn't just come up any old day. But they, each one was given a day. Because they were, they, they were offering quite a lot of animals and things. So they all came one particular day, the first one, the second day, the third day. But at the end of it, they, we saw the list of all the people. We have a long chapter where each prince is named individually. And yet they appear to offer exactly the same sacrifices and gifts. You know, if we'd have been writing that chapter, I'm sure we'd have said, well, the, 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 these 12 men, they ought to lump them all together and have a much shorter chapter. That's, that's the way it would have been done. Why repeat everything again and again and again 12 times? The Holy Spirit in the Divine Word mentions each one because they were important. They were important to God. And I think that we learn nothing else tonight. That To God, they were not just a bunch of people. They were individuals who were prepared to offer individual sacrifices and offerings to Him. You know, the psalmist could say, The Lord is my shepherd. We can say, The Lord is my saviour. We're individuals in God's sight. We're not all lumped together as a bunch of people. God loves you and gave his life for you. Jesus said, he calls his own sheep by name. He knows us all. Hairs of our heads are numbered. He knows us all. It's a lovely thought that God knows you as an individual. I was looking at a, a chap who'd written a bit about this chapter. And he pointed out when Paul was writing his letters. When Paul was writing his letters in the New Testament. At the end of his letters, he mentions those of the people who worked with him. Uh, and he adds bits where necessary to show that extra little bit of those who have worked especially zealously. Look at Colossians 3 verse 7. It's Colossians 4 verse 7. And all my state shall Tychicus, Tychicus, declare unto you this man who been working with Paul who is a brother no he doesn't he says he's a beloved brother points him out and he's a faithful minister and a fellow servant you know I read the obituaries quite often in the back of the telegraph when I see some interesting soldier who's died or something and quite often you'll, you'll see it that he got the DSO or something uh, and he was mentioned in dispatches. That means his name was sent back to headquarters having done something worthy of note. And Paul, at the end of his letters, he has all these people who are mentioned in dispatches. Special people who helped him. He was beloved brother, a faithful servant, a fellow servant. Verse 9, he goes on, Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Isn't that lovely? Who is one of you, and they shall make known unto you all the things that are done here. In verse 12, Epaphras, 
who is one of you. A servant of Christ saluteth you, also laboring fervently. Just didn't labor, he labored fervently for you in prayers. For I bear record of him, in verse 13, that he had a great zeal for you. It Paul, Paul pointed out these wonderful things that these people had. They were, they were special. And Romans 16, there are a lot in Romans 16, but we look at a couple. Romans 16, 3 and 4. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ, who have for my life laid down their own necks. Isn't that wonderful? Paul was able to mention these dear ones in dispatches. Verses 6 and 7. Greet Mary who bestowed much labor on us. Oh, she just didn't. She, she just went that extra mile. And my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles. They're of note. And you know, you can read all those yourself. Salute in verse 12. The beloved Persis, who laboured much in the Lord. He just didn't labour in the Lord, but he laboured much in the Lord. And so on. Mentioned in dispatches. And you know, when the, the great thing, not that we do anything for man's gain. We don't. And these people were, were not expecting, I'm sure, to be mentioned in Paul's letters to the Romans. But they've been recorded for... for Years and years later, we're reading about these. We don't know much about half of them. But we know that they, they labored with great zeal. They, 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 they did that extra bit for the Lord. And in closing, just turn to Malachi 3.16. The, 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 this wonderful passage in, in Malachi. And it says, And then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. You know, those that feared the Lord, they spoke to each other. When you meet people in the street who are Christians, do you speak about the Lord? Or do you speak about something else? They that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And this is, this is the, the frightening thing, really. The Lord hearkened. The Lord's listening to what we're talking about. After the service, he's listening to what we're saying. The Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. Oh yes, the Lord was writing a book. There's somebody talking about me. thinking about me today. It's written in the book. It's frightening, isn't it? And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine. Said the Lord of hosts. They shall, the Lord said, they shall be mine. In that day when I make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spared 
his own son that served him. Uh, you know, we could go on about that chapter. But the great thing is, remember that we put Jesus Christ first in our lives. And then remember that we are treated by God as individuals. Not those men got each of them got about six verses instead of putting them all together. <laughs> and then remember, God is watching us and He's listening. And a book of remembrance was written before Him for them that fear the Lord and thought upon His name. And He says, They shall be mine. We're His. He treats us as individuals and he knows us by name and he loves us and we're a peculiar people we're his own special possession it's a wonderful thought amen